0: Fueled by conversations about the world of creativity, welcome to the Adventures in Creativity podcast with me, your tour guide, your host, David Swiduck. The adventure starts right now. Hey guys, welcome back here to Creative Basecamp, Creativity Basecamp, man, I keep messing that up, but anyways, we're here at the Adventures in Creativity podcast, and as I mentioned last week, I have a fantastic conversation for you guys with a wonderful, wonderful individual by the name of Thomas Skurl. I'm not going to go too deep long in this introduction. I'm going to jump right into it because our conversation actually went a little over an hour. So this episode's going to be a tiny bit longer possibly, but we'll keep the intro and outro pretty short. But man, this conversation is so good. We we get into all sorts of uh, uh, amazing topics regarding not just photography, but creativity in general, in terms of how to, you know, go about searching for your story Um, How to develop a connection, a deeper connection with your work. We go into, you know, kind of the the main takeaway being, you know, the power of just jumping in and doing something if you want to get, you know, better at it or you want to learn something or whatever it is. It's so good. It's such a good conversation. I really hope you guys enjoy it. And we're gonna jump into that right now. All right, Thomas, welcome to the virtual studio. I, I still haven't figured out what to call this place. I, I don't want to use like Adventure Land because that's that like cartoon or something. And, you know,
1: I, <laughs> a copyright strike
0: right away. Right. I don't, don't want to get in trouble, but, you know, I, I just kind of refer to it as the virtual studio as we go on adventures, you know, and, and I appreciate you taking some time. I know you are absolutely swamped with work, um, both personal and, you know, the the actual professional photo work. And so I really do appreciate you you know, fit in a little time and to sit down here and, and join me and we'll, we'll go on a little adventure, see what you're up to.
1: Yeah. Looking forward to it. Man.
0: Awesome. Well, I suppose, because I know you, I followed you for a long time online. A um, lot of the listeners may know you because we have uh, mutual friends in Riley who was on the, the last interview and a um, yep. lot of kind of similar circles with, with a lot of the, the online following at least. But um, why don't we start just letting people know, little bit about who you are, what you do, and and uh, we'll just kind of go from there.
1: Yeah, sure thing. It's it's actually funny that uh, the last one was Riley because I think yeah in that whole circle of um, like photographers, like like I met Riley through Twitter, um, and then later met him in person in New York, and he was probably one of the main people. He was definitely like the first person that I really connected with. Uh-huh. Um, so it's always really cool to see how far we both come in terms of our <laughs> photography i think that was when he just first picked up fuji yeah so as he was talking about it in the last podcast i was cluing in i remember being in his hotel room and him showing me like the fuji kit that he had right. and everything like that and uh yeah no it, time flies by that was back in oh. I think 2016 i think
0: yeah. So, I, and, yeah and you know the weird thing when you say that number it doesn't even sound like it should be that far back no, but then you start looking you're like, geez, we're already closing in on four years away from it. <laughs> <I know. laughs>
1: what's it's going insane. on.
0: Yeah. yeah. So can, what do you do? I know, you know, I, I set it up a little bit in the intro. You're a photographer and I, I didn't want to spill the beans too much there because I want you to fill it in. Cause when you speak of, yeah. you know, kind of looking at this journey, I, I've been following you in, in, in the online world, I guess for quite a while and man, you've gone through some stuff.
1: Yeah, I've, uh, I've definitely kind of dipped my toe into a bunch of different puddles, <laughs> I guess right. you'd say. Um, yeah, I really took the dive into photography a couple of years ago, just for personal reasons, just felt like picking, picking something up. Um, and then that kind of built, grew on that. Uh, and then I decided I should probably learn how to do some video editing. So I did the the YouTube. I set myself a YouTube challenge to do a video every week uh, for a full year. And I think I released around like 54 videos or something like that before it stopped. Um, It's still something that people always ask me, like when the next one's coming out (laughs) and stuff like that, I'll get a DM every once in a while. And I just, I don't have, I I just can't bring myself to being like, yeah, it's probably never going to happen. It's always on the back burner. I go through like cycles of wanting to do it again. Right. Um, But I guess if I was to describe myself now after, I guess, uh, three or four years of really going at it hard. Uh, I would describe myself as a sports and life sports lifestyle and travel photographer. And then I also uh, touch in video producing as well. Um, I used to do more like um, videography work, like as an actual DP for like more commercial shoots. Uh, but I've kind of transitioned away to being more of like a director or producer and then just bringing on uh, like a team of people uh, to help run it with it. And then just kind of leading that. Um, yeah, shoot a whole bunch of sports, um, a whole bunch of film and <laughs> have fun doing it.
0: Right. <laughs> well, it. when, when you mentioned YouTube, I mean, we were talking just a little bit pre-show here, but I think that's, I was trying to remember. And I think that's around the time when I kind of discovered you online and started following you is because we were both kind of jumping into that YouTube game at around the same time. Yep. and um, I started watching your stuff, and I, I loved your photo work you were putting out too. And I was like, all right, and this this video Thanks, man. thing, man. Oh, no problem, no problem. It, it, this video thing, I I really enjoy the shooting part of it. Yep. I hate editing video with a passion. <laughs> it, you yeah. know, and I think it's because I spent you know when I was doing that, I I I did the stupid thing. I instead of saying one a week, I decided, well, I'm just going to jump in, and we'll do one a day. Oh man, that, and it was brutal. Th- that's the quickest way to burn
1: out. Oh, and I can't. I, I can't believe the people who, like Casey Neistat, who are doing right. one a day. Like, you right. you to be so efficient with your filming.
0: Oh, it was. I, I would, I would wake up in the morning, shoot a little bit of whatever as I was getting ready around the house, or if anything, yeah. you know, I could think of anything. But mostly, my shooting would happen. I get an hour long lunch break at my day job, so I'd cram in, and I'd, I'd be at work in the morning thinking of ideas. I try to go somewhere, cram in everything I needed in that hour and maybe pick up a little bit right after work. And then as soon as I got the kids to bed, it'd be down to edit for like three, four hours. And I'm like, (sighs) oh, it was, it was nuts. And I I definitely burned out, but you know, back at that time, you know, I I watched you kind of, you were dipping your toes into the film, you were doing the digital, you're doing a lot of the video stuff. I remember you lugging that big Canon camera around all over, <laughs> you know. And, yeah, and, that was the worst part. Right. And, and you know, to, to say you, you've kind of dipped your toes in a lot of puddles is is very true. And, and one of the wildest things, and I'll just kind of jump right to this. You mentioned shooting films, shooting a lot of sports and everything else. But you combine that. You're shooting a Hasselblad at hockey games. Yeah. I mean, not full time. You use your digital work, too. But you're yeah. doing some pretty cool stuff. Adding that film into the hockey world, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely something that every time I pull
1: it out, I always mm-hmm. get looks. At being like, "Oh, I what bet. is this person doing here?"
0: Like
1: <laughs> you, you kind of have to set some parameters because, like, when I'm shooting for sports, uh, it's usually for a client. Yeah. So if something's happening, like action on ice, I, I can't be like, oh, let's try to get this on the Hasselblad. I'll <laughs>
0: right. get them.
1: I'll get them the photo in a couple of days. Yeah, um, yeah. It it has to be for more of the in between moments, the mm-hmm. pregame, uh, in between the plays. Um, but for me, that's honestly my favorite part of the sports. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's not the actual action. It's the kind of the little bits of story that you can yeah. kind of find in between that uh not everyone has the opportunity to see if it's like the team coming down the hallways before they step onto the ice all those little kind of more exclusive things um and then capturing that on something that's a format that you don't see like medium format black and white (laughs) is definitely not something that is uh very common uh right and, and it's definitely raised some questions uh Definitely get teased a bit when I pull it out, but uh, <laughs> everyone always really likes seeing the results. Um, everyone's really supportive with it, so
0: yeah, uh, it's really good. Yeah, I know one of the one of the images I, I remember kind of jumping out at me when you were first getting into that because I, I guess not to skip over it, but you were doing for for I don't know how long did you guys do it, but you had the podcast your Graincast uh, podcast. Yeah, and so we heard a lot of those stories if you listen to that show. Yeah but I remember you talking about getting into this. And I remember there's a a black and white shot of a goalie, I believe. And I mean, this was when you were kind of early into just testing out this film. And he was, Mm. I think in the hallway stretching or something, the light was there just crazy. Yeah. And just such a beautiful shot. And, you know, it's weird because like you said, the storytelling and everything, it reminded me of like one of those like Rocky moments in a movie. (laughs) It's not the middle of the fight. It's like, in in training ahead of time or just getting to the ring, that kind of a thing.
1: Yeah, you can really feel like the mind games going on in the goalie's head yeah. in that photo, which I uh, which I love, especially because it's just him completely isolated, no other teammates along with him. Um, and, and that comes from a lot of, like that's with uh, the Toronto Marlies. Um, and an opportunity like that is, like for that photo, you need to shoot them more times than often. Like it's all routines that you're learning, especially when you're going to be shooting film. Like I'm not just carrying the Hasselblad everywhere. I know exactly when I can pull it out. So like I know the goalie comes out like 15 seconds before the first player and he sits there alone. So I get there early, I wait, I get that, I shoot the frame, and then I immediately go to the next thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Because especially with focusing with the Hasselblad, it's low light. So most of the time I'm shooting at like I'm 2.8 at like a 60th or 125th. Like you can't be rushing during something like that. Um, and then it's a whole different ball game when, uh, you're trying to shoot action with it. That's, that's <laughs> a really hit or miss right? And for that. I'll go through like two rolls of black and white and like, you hope to try and get like two or three frames and then you're happy with it. Yeah. Um, and for that, it's not really tracking them. It's more like picking a spot. Like you pick the exact framing, you kind of manually focus looking at like lines on the ice mm-hmm. and you just wait for someone to skate through and hope you can, uh, Hope hope the shutter doing, in time.
0: Yeah, hope they're doing yeah. something cool as they fly by. Yeah, with yeah. their eyes open.
1: And- <laughs> <laughs> There's a whole bunch of different elements to keep in mind, but I love the way it looks, like with the overhead lights like that, and like yeah. the stands just kind of go a really harsh black. Like the contrast yeah. is really strong. Uh, it's definitely my favorite. If I could shoot a whole game like that or shoot everything mm-hmm. just in like medium format, black and white for sports, I- I'd love that.
0: Oh yeah, I know. Um- it's weird because I swear and i don't I don't know if I dare call you a trendsetter. I mean <laughs> <you'll>, you, <laughs> you you can you can judge for yourself and listeners can judge for themselves. um, I started seeing you shoot this hockey uh, in in probably it must have been a full season, and then the NFL season started here in the states um because I guess we didn't mention you're you're Canada based. it was a Toronto, right? And so NFL season started here in the States and our local, I I live in Minnesota. So our our Minnesota Vikings uh, football team last season here, they started doing every single game, a bunch of just amazing black and white photos that they'd share of game days. So like hours after the game was done, you'd see the, the team sharing these photos out, but they were all these gorgeous black and whites and oh, nice. I started seeing them cropping up a little bit more. Not every team was doing it, but man, I'm telling you, it, it was so unique looking because you're yeah. used to seeing those vivid colors of your sports team. Yeah, and, you exactly. Know, and these just had a very kind of quiet and still vibe, but also it could be the, the heat of the action or something happening or just moments, you know, like you said, those little moments. And whoever their photographer was, all I could think at the time was like, well, "You're late to the game." Thomas is already <laughs> doing this.
1: <laughs> yeah, is it? Uh, was it digital or was it? Home?
0: You know, I don't know. I, I I wasn't able to find out. I just remembered seeing hmm. it, and this was like week two or three. I think I started popping up, and I was like, "Yeah," I was kind of blown away. Like, wow, they're they're going. I mean, just to see black and white in itself yeah. pushed out by the team media it was like they made a point to put together. An entire black and white series from every game and it was phenomenal i hope to see more of it but you know yeah. it, it brings something so different to it
1: it is it, and it definitely doesn't like when i say was it on film like it, it definitely doesn't matter right um, it, it's just you get such a different feeling from the photo like like you were saying with uh, the vivid colors and everything mm-hmm. you definitely pick up on different things right away with like the colors opposed yeah. to like a black and white image, just like anything else, just like a portrait, a landscape, anything else. It definitely gives you a whole different, uh, feeling. And right. I, I think that's just something that appeals to me more. It feels slower yeah. without actually being, um,
0: slower. I don't really know. Well, yeah, it's, it's in, like you said, immense preparation on your part as, as a photographer to know when those moments are going to happen. But yeah, there, there's the thought you, you, the thought uh, into the shot, the, the thought that goes into making that photo before you actually make that photo when you're shooting film like that, I think that translates really well to that storytelling aspect.
1: Yeah. And, and I think it's very easy to, to say like when you see a, a really strong uh, storytelling photographer that a lot of the work that they're putting out is very like on the fly or like they're so fast with a certain camera system or like with focusing or whatever it may be um but so much of it is intensely thought out not that not that it's staged but they'll be in an area and they're witnessing everything that's happening so they they learn the area and they figure out what's going to happen like the natural progression like i grew up playing hockey so it's a little easier for that sport but throw me into another sport and i have to learn those kind of uh, formalities that are going to (laughs) be happening throughout the game right um there's a really good article that um The Toronto Maple Leafs actually put out, they put out an interview with, uh, their main team photographer, Mark Blinch. Um, and he's helped me out with so many things. Um, always really good to talk to. So he's like a veteran at it. Like his work's incredible. Uh, and for me, that was the same thing. I was always like, wow, like he's so fast when he's working and everything. And he really is like, he's go, 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 but he has like his top 15 photos and he goes into detail explaining what led up to the shot. And I was blown away by the amount of preparation and trial and error just for like a single photo. It's not like he's getting lucky or uh, he has the access. Um, He really is kind of busting his ass and making sure he's getting the best work that he can. And that's all done through preparation. Like none of it is spur of the moment.
0: Right. But to the outside viewer, it looks like, oh, this guy's just freewheeling shooting as he wants oh yeah fast what is he doing you know
1: and and that's the big difference like i think and and i'm not really sure what camp i fall into yet but uh as you start seeing more and more working photographers especially in sports um there becomes a time where you see a split down the middle of people who are really progressing as like sports photographers and people who are access photographers So people who are taking good photos because of the access they have, and people who are taking that to like the next step. You know what I mean? Right.
0: So it's doing something with that. Yeah.
1: So it's like if you're shooting, let's say, like the like the NBA finals or something, Mm -hmm. and you have a good photo of like Kawhi Leonard or something like that, it's gonna be a good photo probably either way, because it's Kawhi Leonard and the NBA Finals. But are you able to take that to like the next step and make that get a photo that is uh really something different? Right. And I think that's the big difference between just having the access and um, like taking advantage of the access and coming away with something truly unique.
0: Well, a a hundred percent agree with that. First off Um, the, the thing that that's really striking me. And I mean, as a sports fan, you, you know, we all grew up seeing the images like on sports illustrated or, you know, major publications like that when I was younger. And then of course on the internet now, but you can tell the, the, people that do stories when when they're photographing this stuff, when they do put the thought into the story they're trying to communicate Mm -hmm. or even just capture, like they've done it long enough and they're familiar enough with the situation where they know there's a story here visually they can tell that not everyone else is going to see. And it's something, I guess, that it never really occurred to me just how much storytelling, because when I think of storytelling and photography – you know, my mind automatically kind of goes to cinematic or yep. you know documentary, where it's you know you're on on a on a destination type thing, you yeah. know, whatever it might be. Uh, there's a purpose behind it, but on the sports side, there's a ton of storytelling in there. So much. It, 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 wh- go ahead. It, it it
1: gets really complicated because it's very easy, like how you were saying that uh, for you, it comes up as like a destination or like a very specific story. And I think everyone has their own interpretation of what a story may be. And uh, a good example was when the Toronto Marlies won their finals, um, it was me and two other photographers, one of them who was also uh, Mark Blench, the least photographer. He came to also shoot it with us. Um, and one thing he said at the beginning of the game, he's like, "If they, if, if it goes our way and they have the trophy out, follow the trophy. Right. So, and and as I was on the ice and like everyone was like skating around with the trophy, you're overwhelmed by all these emotions that all the people are showcasing and you want to capture everything. Like you have people with their families, people like with their kids, like uh, meeting like their spouses on the ice, all that. And you want to get it all. And there was one point where the trophy wasn't there and I was photographing it all and it clicked in my head and I heard clear as day, him telling me, follow the trophy. And immediately (laughs) I was like, oh shit, where is it? And I quickly looked around and it wasn't on the ice. So I knew the next spot it would be, would be the dressing room. Okay, And I bolted there. And within like 15 seconds of me getting there, um, the coach came in carrying the trophy and that's when they let off all the champagne. Sure. So like, if I didn't remember that, what the story was, I would have missed that moment.
0: Oh, absolutely. Because
1: even in something like that, where there's so many stories, you have to remember like what's the key one. So like if they win the championship, none of the other stuff matters except for like the trophy in this situation. So I think with any, and I think it goes past sports with anything you're photographing, what is the trophy? I think that's a good good metaphor of like, if you're, let's say you are at a destination of that destination or of that, um, whatever you are documenting, what's the trophy moment or that you have to focus on and everything else is kind of going to be secondary.
0: Yeah, that I I dig that man. That the idea of following that trophy because I know myself. I've I've in the last few months, this this kind of realization occurred to me because I've been chasing this storytelling aspect to my photography for quite some time, mm-hmm. and I never realized it. I didn't know what it was. It just something was there, and in certain photos I was making, felt like I was really into them, and I, I was seeing this stuff, and in my mind, the story was playing out. Other times eh, it was fine. It looked to be the same on the surface, same type of scene, but yep. just something was lacking, you know. And it, it clicked for me a few months back, and just that, you know, wow, I, I really like kind of this cinematic approach. And I, I kind of been telling myself my my own version, I guess, of the the follow the trophy is just think of think of myself when I'm out shooting, even just day to day stuff. Think of myself as like the lead actor the lead character and in whatever I'm trying to do but that's tough because I'm not in the pictures (laughs) (laughs) I mean occasionally I'll do like I'll, I'll get a hand in the picture like out of focus you know just for like uh equivalent of like b-roll footage basically yeah. but you know stuff like that but i'm not i'm not typically setting up a tripod and doing selfies in a scene you right. know while i'm doing this so the idea of of kind of following the trophy you know following making that trophy that story that's it, it almost kind of refines it a little further so it's it's a really awesome way to think about that
1: yeah. And it, it, again, it, it's very hard to do, especially like if you ever go on vacation or something. Um, I, I I recently had one and I was kind of lucky in the sense that uh, I ended up going, like my parents ended up coming with me. Yeah. So instead of me just generally covering like the story of like my trip, I was able to kind of put like that family twist on it. Right. Um, and to me, like that was, I guess you could say like the trophy moment of it. Sure. Um, not that I haven't seen like <laughs> any of the film yet, <laughs> but I just know from uh, what I photographs and stuff. And right, um, I think a couple of things clicked for me on that too. Like I, I just shot a, a ton um, on a twenty eight instead of usually I'm around a fifty. Okay, um, I don't know. I just felt a lot closer to that type of work. I, sure. I think it just helped from like the storytelling aspect. But um, was it the same for you when you were saying it clicked for like the cinematic? Like, did you change?
0: You know, approach? it wasn't it wasn't so much a, a like a, a gear approach or a lens approach. Um, it, it was very much more like I, the, I had watched a movie. Um, it's called Sicario. You probably have heard of oh, it. Oh yeah. Um, I watched that, and something visually, Roger Deakins as a, as the DP on that movie. I mean, he's he's so good at what he does. Yeah, he's phenomenal. I mean, just mind blowing. And something for whatever reason, we were watching it as a as a review for our other show over on Digital Soup. And I was just floored by the, the way he was framing scenes, the way he was just kind of everything was so, you know, the use of color, the use of light, everything was so amazingly done. And it made me realize, like, yes, he's probably got these huge budget, you know, lighting sets and rigs and oh, everything yeah. else. But so much of what he was done was just to mimic the feeling of a hot day in Mexico, you know, <laughs> or, you know, the feeling of winding down when the evening's cool in and in a little honky tonk kind of bar. And it was more of that aspect where I was like, that's what I'm missing is yeah. just capturing that feeling and, and focusing on that more so than a subject, so to speak. If that makes sense, it's kind of weird. Like if I'd go out shooting before, I'd always frame something up and there'd be a very clear, like you know, I'm taking a picture of this sign, for example, or mm-hmm. whatever it is, but there was nothing to give any context to it. And that's that was kind of the shift for me that changed where, you know, I, I guess in some ways I've, I've always been very much in that 50 millimeter range, full frame equivalent, yeah. um, which is I shoot Fuji. So it's that 35, 1.4, and I still love that lens, but I find I use it so much that I often forget to, go wider, forget to get tighter. You know, I, I've got a, a handful of other fantastic lenses from them that get pulled out rarely. Yeah. You know, which it's good on one hand to simplify your gear, but at the same time, it's like, oh, I've got all these tools. Why don't I use them to tell more of a story? Yep. And, yeah, and, and it, I think crazy. it's,
1: it's a weird, it's such a, a double-edged sword where, especially online, it's either people feel they need to be super simple. Like, yeah. Like one Camera setup or something. Yep. And then the other side where it's like, oh, I'm going to have absolutely everything. Yeah. Um, I definitely think there's a balance. And I think I'm lucky with the type of shooting I do. Cause like usually I'll have two cameras, one on each shoulder, 24 to 70 and 70 to 200. And to so many people, that's like, man, you have so much gear on you like all the time. Like, why not just like simplify it? But like, honestly, compared to a lot of people, in the industry, like that, already is very simple, um, and I think that trickled into more of my personal work now, where it's even hard for me to have one camera again. Yeah, all always like even on this trip, I had the Hasselblad with the eighty uh, and a Leica with a twenty-eight, um, just because there there's a time and place for each one, not just for the format, but also for just one. I need a wider, more storytelling shot, and then exactly, yeah
0: yeah it's it's learning that you don't need a suitcase full of gear it's fun to play with yeah i mean no no doubt about oh, yeah. it we'd all love to have it but it's a pain in the butt to lug around and, yeah. and more often than not you find that you reach for the same one or two maybe three pieces of glass yep you know and so when you get to that nice sweet spot and, and i've i feel like i'm pretty much there with the fuji gear for i've been there for the last few years i I love the the 35, so the 50 millimeter range. Yeah, even when I shot Nikon previously, I mean this has been years ago now, but I always found the 50 millimeter and 85 were kind of the two that I love to to work between.
1: Nice.
0: And I I have a longer lens if I need it. I rarely shoot longer than that. Yeah. Um, is and that, I is have the 56? like 56. Yeah, I have the 56 one two, and then the 35 one four, and then I also have a 14. Um, the fourteen, what is it, two eight or something? Yeah. I use that mainly for like real estate stuff when I'm doing that. Because man, I I really struggle with super wide angle. Yeah, they're tough. It's it's just I I I can't see the world that way. Yeah, I, <laughs> as soon, so as soon as
1: The wider you go, the more that's in the frame. And yeah, it's the more that can kind of ruin a frame. Too. Exactly. I, I think that's really where they're saying like, um, if your photos aren't good enough, get closer. Yeah, and that's really like one, it's more intimate, but two you're just eliminating right. more garbage from exactly. the brain, the closer you get
0: bringing just the elements you want into it. And exactly. that, yeah, that one, I, I, I have a hard time just seeing that focal range that wide for anything other than the real estate stuff is a no brainer. Cause I need to be able to get these rooms, you know, it's, yeah. it's not a big deal. That's more of a practicality. I'm not telling any stories there other than hopefully someone wants to buy the house. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, when the only other one I have is a 23 millimeter, so because I had a, an X100 uh, T, I think it was, and I loved it, but I found that I just kept going back to my 35, so I sold it and then missed the focal length. So I pull it out every now and then, but nice. it, it's one of those things where it's kind of that sweet spot. I have my range covered, I can reach for what I need, and I can focus on this the stuff that's arguably more important, you know, just yeah, being able to use whatever gear is there to tell whatever story you know we're looking to tell and and that's that's the that's where it's been kind of eye-opening where like I said I feel like I was kind of edging into that for a long time now without really realizing it and all of a sudden something just clicked and I was like oh that's what I'm doing oh crap I don't know anything about cinematography (laughs) now I've got a lot to learn (laughs) Yeah,
1: and it's a it's a constant learning journey too
0: it is And, and and
1: I think the thing with uh the kit regardless of how big or small it is it's more about just knowing exactly what your kit is capable of right and that you can use it all like you can you can tell what the 23 is going to look like before like you don't have to mount it to be like right maybe let's try this like right. you have to be able to look at something like okay i need this and this and I'm exactly
0: good. yep um, you you see like you, you almost have those blinders on like okay there's that's what the 56 is going to see that's what the 23 is going to see yeah Yep. And how that's going to
1: convey the story differently. Right.
0: Right. Right. Now I I wanted to mention something you, you kind of uh, touched on earlier, and this is kind of around the idea of just general creativity and in learning, um, kind of across the board. But you mentioned when you got into YouTube, you jumped in because you were looking to learn how to do the, the, the process, the video process, so you did what I think is amazing and what I wish more people would do and they're so scared to do it. You just you wanted to learn something, so you just jumped right into it. How important do you think that's been for you as far as your progression up to this point from back then till now? Because I know you did it recently with film photography as well and jumping into the developing printing side of things.
1: Yeah. Um, man, now that you mentioned it, Kind of my whole journey, my journey has been like that. Like even from using like strobes, from developing, from printing, everything's been kind of, I want to figure out how this is going to work. Or sometimes, oh shit, I have to yeah. know how this is going to work. Like for a job, and I just kind of figure it out. Like there's so many resources online or like, mm-hmm. like YouTube, Twitter, anything like that. Um, Twitter was a huge help at the beginning. right? Um, for me, a lot of things were kind of, uh like for film for developing because i started developing very early on when i started right one because i didn't know of too many local labs um now i use uh, there's a lab downtown camera in toronto um but all my black and white from the beginning i um developed at home and that wasn't really for the need to want to learn how to do it yes i was interested but it was more or less just to save money to be honest.
0: Right. It's expensive. Um, Oh yeah.
1: And like you can save, like I don't mind if I have, if I go through like 10 rolls of black and white, Mm -hmm. I don't mind because I'm going to home develop and scan. Right. But if I go through 10 rolls of color. Yeah. I'm kind of like, Oh, uh, Oh, that's, that sucks. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to have to skip out on some lunches this week or something like that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's not cheap. Um, No. But in the same thing, like um, YouTube figured out, Um, like video editing uh figured out some like after effects stuff which helped Mm -hmm. uh very simple like nothing extreme sure uh and then i decided to open or not open but uh set up a dark room at home and then aloha big mike mike caputo uh he was awesome with helping me uh with that like i was he was probably so annoyed by me I like, you know what DMing though, man but I, I guarantee I I've,
0: I've never spoken with him I don't know him I followed him for for quite a while after hearing you guys talk about him yeah. and having him on Graincast and stuff too I have a feeling that dude just is not annoyed ever yeah. to help someone out with photography Yeah man
1: he, he's such a nice guy super passionate not only about like photography but like the community and uh um, printing and everything like that so Yeah um Definitely a great resource. He actually opened up a dark room in Hawaii. Yeah, yeah.
0: That's what I was going to say. What is it? Is it just Hawaii? Uh, Hawaii dark room? What does I you think call it called? It is
1: just Hawaii dark room.
0: Yeah, I know he's always posting stuff from there. And and that's the thing. Like, one of the things about him, like, he's, he's a wealth of knowledge. Oh, yeah. He's super approachable. And not only that, but he doesn't take himself too seriously either. Because there's some of these film guys that. Oh, yeah. They, they get on their horse man, and, and they're going to tell you their way. And that's the only way. And he's just so like, he has so much fun with it. Oh, yeah. And, and he, like his he, Instagram stories and stuff. Here. Yeah. It's so much fun watching that stuff. Now, what, what pushed you to get into the, the printing side of it? The dark room.
1: Um, so I did a workshop uh, in New York. Uh, okay. That was at one of Johnny Patience's workshops. And that was oh, the, the yeah. very first time. That I've ever been in a dark room. I didn't have the opportunity to do it in uh, high school or university, anything like that. Um, And and I thought it was the coolest process. Like developing film was cool when you pull off a reel or pull off the film off the reel. But to see in like under that red light, see that print come to life (laughs) is really cool. Yeah, Um, and and I really do like printing my work. Like any trip that I go on, I usually put together like a zine or a book just to have it in like a hard copy form. Um, And I think with my interest growing more and more towards black and white on the film side of things. Uh, It just seems like the next logical step. And I think it's um, I didn't anticipate this right away. I kind of just jumped into it because I wanted to print, but um, I'm learning so much more about exactly how I want my prints or my black and white photos to look just because you're spending so much time like looking at it. Like yeah. For me, it's not just going through on Lightroom adjusting like <laughs> a, a tone curve or something, or yeah. um, adding contrast, or like adjusting your black levels. Sure, um, it's such a slower process, and I hate using like the slower analogy when it comes right. to film photography, but it really is. Um, and just seeing all your errors blown up even bigger because <laughs> you're seeing like if you're out of focus or there's something. Wrong, like even when you're cropping the image, like you start to realize, like, why did I have this in the frame? Right, and, and just little things like that. So the next time I go out and shoot, if I'm lining up a uh, a camera with black and white film, I'm always thinking, like, okay, if I'm gonna print this, how's it gonna look? And even light, like before I'd be shooting all the time in like midday, and now I'm thinking way more about lighting or uh, how hard the shadows are. Um, just little details in the frame, and it's just made me a lot more conscious of all that stuff. Um, so, in hindsight, I guess that's the reason why I really wanted to start printing. But yeah, um, from the get-go, I
0: just kind of wanted to print, just make photos, sure. I, I mean, it it's something i'd I'd love to do. I, and I've never actually kind of dove into the world of of even home developing at this point. um it's something on the very very near horizon because i I actually just got my my first medium format camera this last winter oh sweet and um i've only shot five rolls of film through it i um had a very generous friend that gifted this to me that's awesome and uh he set me up with a, a mamiya c330 tlr And just a blast, and he sent five rolls of Ektar 100 with it. And I I shot through them, just kind of experimenting, figuring out how to use the camera. And now I'm at this point like, okay, I have a handful of uh, like probably six rolls, seven rolls of 35-millimeter between Kodak and Fuji and uh, some Portra and and stuff like that. And it's like, I know I should use those up before I buy anything more, (laughs) but I really just kind of want to – get back to that that medium format but i'm debating do i want to go color or do i want to go black and white because i've got a number of friends that do this and they say developing either one is fine it's not really that hard to do at home but you have to chemical wise you have to kind of pick one and and use it you know so your chemicals don't go bad and that's where i'm like oh i'm such a color junkie like i i struggle to see the world in black and white and I don't know why that is. I just, I'm so drawn to color and how it, you know, plays with mood and, and tonality and all this stuff and, and kind of just that extra layer that, that helps.
1: Yeah. Especially you if know. you're going for more of a
0: cinematic look, right. too. the color really helps with that. Right. Right. And you should get some, you know. uh,
1: CineStill then.
0: Oh, that's what I've been looking at that. It's oh, yeah. a beautiful <laughs> film stock. Also it, does it, great for, uh, sports yeah it's it's on the, I've, I've got a short list right now because I'm debating what I want to try next and there's a there's a photographer named Alex Burke. Oh yeah yeah um, large format and he he put up this this post an article on his site about how he processes and and meters and everything but using uh, portrait. I think mostly 160 but some 400. and the look he gets out of it is so beautiful. And I'm like, do I want to try some medium format portrait? Do I want to try something off the wall, like a cinestill or, you know, one of those? Or do I just say, let's go black and white and learn to do this. So it's something different from my digital work. You know, that's the other side. That's true. It's, it's, it's all a big, you know, you get caught in that, that kind of choice paralysis. Like, what should I do? And you don't do anything, which is the worst place to be. Yeah. You know, you want to just, you know, like you say, jump in, do something. That's, that's the key, but.
1: Yeah. And, and really just like do it with what you want. Like if you definitely like color, like do that until you get bored of it and then switch it up. You know what I mean? Like that's uh yeah. And I, as hard as it, I'm so guilty of this, but making the decision on your own is so much more important than going online. Um, like even for me, like I find like, I'll go online so much where like ask, like, uh, like I talk to, uh, Cody and Andrew a lot. Sure. Yeah. Like I'll always be asking them like stuff about gear or something like that. But at the the end of the day, I almost just need to ask it. Mm -hmm. And then I immediately know after sending it, I'm like, wait, I already know the answer to this. Right. But until I actually throw it out there, (laughs) I'm just kind of in like choice paralysis.
0: Yep. That's crazy. You know, one thing I wanted to wanted to touch base on with the with the process you've kind of found yourself evolving into with your film photography. Yeah. How important is it do you think to and this will kind of get to one of the other questions I just it's kind of a nebulous question I wanted to ask, but how important is it to you to be able to have such a hands-on um I mean literally hands-on approach with your photography and how does that impact you know, like you said, when you're shooting the stories, you're looking to tell all of that stuff, how does it feed back into the creative process for you being able to be so hands-on with it? Oh man. Tough question. It is.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think, uh, it's weird because when you're shooting film, um, And and you're part of the whole process from developing. uh, This is like even before printing, even just from developing and scanning, and and it's just heightened even more with uh, the printing process of it as well. But you, as you do it, you become so aware of like the different emotions you go through throughout the process. So like, there's the height of being able to photograph something so you're loading the camera you have it ready you've made that selection on what film stock you're going to be using um even from the fact of like using a light meter or something like that like that's another hand that you have involved in it and then after that you're already thinking as you're shooting you're like okay this frame right? so on the Hasselblad it's a lot easier because it's 12 frames I'll know it already like okay that was the frame like that's the one that I know when I develop it and scan it that's gonna be the first one that's gonna be the one that's really the one that uh, made it all worth it. Um, and you get to kind of relive all those moments when you're the one who has the hand in creating it. Um, when you send it off to a lab, and, and I, this is just for me, I'm, I'm sure it's different for other people, but um, you take the photos, you have that connection of you photographing it, but then you wait, and then you get the scans back, uh, which at the end of the day is, is someone else's interpretation of your film. Um, you make your corrections and then it's done. Uh, you get to look at that moment and it, and it brings you back to that time. Um, but I think it's just a lot stronger of a connection when you go through it all. Like, whether, like, you remember, um, as you're kind of like mixing the chemicals, you have the music playing, like you're reliving those moments going through your head as you're waiting in anticipation, hoping that it turned out exactly as you wanted, hoping you hit focus. And then when you pull that negative off the reel, like, and you see it exactly as you wanted, um, there's nothing that really kind of matches that in that whole process, knowing that you created it all. Um, I don't know, it, it, it it can be dangerous at times because it creates such a stronger emotional bond with a particular image that it may not even be a good photograph, but because you've had that whole journey with it, you're in your head, you're like, wow, this this is my favorite image ever. this is a really strong image where at the end of the day it may not be um, but at the same time that doesn't really matter because if you have the connection with it uh, I think that's also super important and then the same thing is just heightened with uh, with printing like the little the little steps of progress you make like like for one photo you can Nail it on like the first three tries, or you could be in. I've been in the dark room for like four hours on one print sometimes, just <laughs> kind of need <laughs> to get it perfect. And even that's by right. the end of it, after that paper dries, you look at it and you just think, "Wow, this still looks like shit." <laughs> 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 and, then, and then you just kind of scrap it and you move on to the next one.
0: Right. Um,
1: yeah, that, that was a really long answer, but I, I think no, that's if, right. if I could sum it up, um, it's important for me to have a hands-on approach to creating any photograph just because uh, it heightens the emotional connection that I have to it. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I can always really remember what I was feeling or what I was going through as I was shooting that, even if it's completely unrelated. Like, it could be a sports photo and it could remind me of something completely different. Um, Right. And I think that is only because of um, all the different stages that I go through from shooting it to getting it on a screen or getting it on paper because I could be going through different things at different times. So I could shoot it one week, mm-hmm. maybe I develop it at the end of the week, going through something completely different that sits in a binder. And then a month later I'm saying, Hey, I'm going to print something. Sure. And I could be in a, I could be a completely different person that month, <laughs> that, when I'm printing it. But uh, right. as I'm changing throughout that journey, Um, I still have that connection to that one moment before. Um, and I think that's something that is not only unique to film, but also unique to kind of having that, uh, hands-on approach.
0: Right. Well, I, the, the thing that just occurred to me as you're talking there and, and, you know, you said you hated to use the term slowing down. Yeah. And I, I wonder if maybe a, a better way to describe shooting film that just occurred to me is, is just simply. It's a stronger connection. It's not necessarily how fast or how slow it's going. I like that. It just it gives you a connection that and I, I was thinking about it as you're talking. Like, you know, winding that film on each frame and and you're lining it up. You're taking yes, sometimes you're slowing down, you know, the cliche. Yeah. <laughs> but it's more the connection because you're really taking time to look at what you're doing to to really use your hands, you know, even especially when you're doing the developing and, and printing and everything else, yep. but it, it's developing a connection, which I guess I didn't think about the potential downside of, of, you know, it's hard enough to, as they say, quote unquote, kill your babies with, with, um, digital photography and throw out stuff that you think is strong, but really isn't yep. serving what you're doing. But when you have that kind of connection, it's got to really make that a tougher choice. Oh yeah. If, if it's something that's trying to fit into a larger project or whatever it is, but you still have that connection that whether it gets used for its intended purpose or not, if you've got that connection, that's a, that's a pretty powerful thing. Yeah. I, I hadn't thought about that. I I'm, thank you so much for that that description <laughs> yeah, no because worries. it's got my mind now kind of, kind of running. I'm like, man, I I had never even considered it from that angle. I'm I'm glad that rant brought some yeah. clarity. <laughs> yeah, no, it totally did. It, yeah. It's, it's a very cool way of thinking about it. You know,
1: It's also true because, like, even when I came out with uh, like my Ireland book, like that was I shot all like I shot a whole bunch of digital. I shot like three thousand frames on digital, and yeah, I forget what it was. It was like thirty-eight rolls of film on the Hasselblad, and like cutting that stuff down was yeah incredibly difficult. Like I had a ton, a ton of help along the way in order to do so. Um, But even uh, I put out a recent post today on uh, my workout i like I finally had time to get around to putting it together but a couple of weeks ago I sent the collection of photos that I narrowed it down to uh to some friends for them to look at it mm-hmm. um I don't think they ever ended up getting around to looking at it <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it was funny but because now that I've revisited so like so much later like these were yeah. all shot in April yeah, yeah and now when I looked at them they were at like a hundred images and I cut it down in half like in seconds I'm like nope 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 right nope yes nope like after you uh, kind of prolong that period in between, yeah. it kind of helps to um, look at it a bit more subjectively because it is hard. Like cutting yeah. your own work down is uh, not an easy thing
0: to do. No, it's brutal. And, and, you know, I, I find, I, I started a couple of just small personal projects last summer and they're one, they're, they're both kind of ongoing, but I found that as I've gone, a, the, the, what I thought were two very distinct separate projects suddenly all of a sudden have evolved and merged where it's like they kind of all feed the same thing and they've taken on a totally different direction. I, I haven't really put anything much out there from it. And the more I look at it, it's like stuff that I was really pumped about last summer, last fall. I'm looking at now like, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't fit anymore. You know things change and in i'm I'm glad you mentioned your your trip to Ireland there because I wanted to ask you about that now, you've taken it a step further from the printing I mean granted with the digital too you were you were processing all that in a different way. What can you tell me about the the process of going through as a creative making a book about something like that? And in putting that whole thing together, cause it's not like you just slapped this all together in like a, a snapfish or a blurb type thing. I mean, you did a proper book. It's beautiful.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Um, it was probably the most exhausting thing I've ever done <laughs> with photography, to be honest. Yeah. Um, you get to the point by the end of it, you're just like, you need to get it done. Like it's not a want anymore. It's like, I need this off my mind. Right. Um, I need to clear it out of the way. Uh, and, and even I had some that I just shipped out recently because I did other things with friends that purchased the books. right So I'm like, oh, I'll ship it to you with these additional prints, but because sure. I got so busy, I was never able to actually develop that film and get it printed.
0: Oh gotcha. Um,
1: and just having them in the other room waiting to be shipped, I was like, these need to go. like I, I, I need it done, especially because I shot digital too like going like culling down like 3,000 digital photos. Yeah. To whatever I posted, I think it was close to a hundred. Right. That alone was exhausting. And then from that to having to go through film photos Mm -hmm. and I wasn't even happy with the scans that I got originally. Uh, So I had to re-edit or readjust all those scans as well. Right. Uh, So by the end of it, I was just like, this is, this is a lot. It, it, It was a long process and I'm sure, I'm sure even my process was rushed compared to how long, like a larger publication would actually take. Right. Um, But I I learned a ton through that, not only about like cutting work, but also um, what I would look for in a next one. Like I'm already excited about doing another one. Right. Just because I know what elements I would add a lot more. Yeah. Um, Like for one thing, like I really enjoyed the text aspect of it, like actually being able to write in it and providing Uh context through that. Okay. So I think uh, the next one would have um, more of that as well. Sure. Probably play around more with the layout. Kind of hard when you're shooting and- uh, like square and it's just one stock. I think the next one for me would be color in a medium format in a square. And then I'd also throw in uh, black and white in 35 millimeters. So like a 3-2 or a um, 4-3 format just to
0: mix it up. So how did you find the process? As, I mean, calling the images down to the to the keepers, quote unquote, is one thing. How did you find the process for you of of laying it out, sequencing, figuring out that that through line, that that story that you were going to present there?
1: Um, that one was actually really interesting. I owe a lot to uh, Cody actually for that. Um, he he was actually a, a huge help just for like bouncing ideas, not only for this book but like majority of ideas I
0: come up with. Well, um, he is the taco book creator, right? Yeah, or it was exactly. the nachos. Well, I forget. I believe, tacos, I believe yeah, yeah. it's nachos. I haven't gotten the taco one yet. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um, but yeah, I originally had it laid out as, um, so I went on the trip with two other friends and I had the trip or the book laid out in the order, the sequence of the trip, just so you could kind of feel the progress that we made as a group as well around the Island. Um, but as we were looking at it, Cody made a really good suggestion of um, a lot of parts of Ireland are super old. And then there's like a, a middle part, and then it becomes more modern, right? Uh, depending on like the town or city you're in. And as we were kind of going through all the work, we started noticing that trend more and more. Mm-hmm. So, if you happen to look at the book, you can kind of see from the beginning of the book, it goes from super like natural, rustic, like almost no signs of human. Um, I don't want to use the word contamination, but involvement.
0: Yeah, right. And then as you
1: go, they'll be they'll start to be like. Um, Stone fences, and then you see some roads. Okay. And you see some farmhouses, and it just gets more and more kind of modern as uh, there is more and more human uh, involvement, and then it ends off with human conflict in like Northern Ireland. Oh boy, yeah. So I, I, I think it's a really cool twist of seeing like how peaceful and calm and green everything can be, and then the more and more um, that you see humans getting involved, uh, the more dar- darker it goes <laughs> in terms of a tone. Um, yeah, that's very cool. Kind of of ending it on a sour note for the book. But, uh, I, to be honest, that was probably my favorite part of shooting was, uh, I, that was the one time I really felt like, wow, I actually did photograph something that is (laughs) impactful or something like that, even though it's not, uh, like it's still covered today. Like there's still our issues, but it's not something that, uh, is front page. But Especially uh,
0: over here we're not seeing it. Yeah, exactly. But like yeah. the journalistic side of
1: things is something I really uh want to get into. So uh-huh. being able to be in an area like that and I it, it gave me the idea of what uh being like not embedded or deployed are, but like being sent to cover something very specific. Right. And uh, that's just something that really appealed to me.
0: Well, and, and it it goes right back to to what we talked about earlier with you wanted to learn something, so you just jump in and uh, it, it's something I, I've heard. Um, there's a there's a podcast I listen to um, called Creative Pep Talk. the The host name is Andy J Pizza, uh, not his real last name, but <laughs> he he talks about it in terms of like video gaming, where these are the this you know these side projects you do that are geared towards helping you learn the skills you need to finally approach it from the professional side of things. And he had this great series. Uh, this is probably oh, geez, six months to a year ago now. He did a, a stretch of probably three to four episodes where he was talking all about how to use these creative side quests, as he called them, to basically get yourself experience and practice so you're prepared to do it. And and it was great because he used the um, the new Zelda Breath of the Wild game as an example. <laughs> nice. He's like, you know, look, you could you could open up this door because he said he went through this on his side, and he's like. You could go right straight to the end boss with Gannon and and you could try and fight him and you'll get your butt kicked. And he equated that to he had gotten a job somewhere early on, didn't know anything, just getting started, knocked on the door of like Nickelodeon or something and got a job because he's a designer and got hired and he put all this work into it, thought it was so good. And they looked at his work and said, yeah, that's, those are some pretty good first drafts. So we can't wait to see the rest. And he was crushed because that was the best he could do. Yeah. And and it talked about, then he goes into, you know, basically talking about how do these things yourself. You want to learn something, you want to be somewhere, do these projects on your own and set yourself up. So that way, if it's something, you know, like you said, the journalistic side of thing, you want to get there eventually, start doing your own journalistic stories, So you you can build your portfolio, essentially, show off your skills when you're ready. Yeah. That's what I love, man. I, I've I've so enjoyed watching your your journey over the last you know couple of years here because you you just I don't want to say you have no fear because I mean I listen to Braincast <laughs> you know and and you got you talk about it you're like anyone else where it's a, a lot of nervousness a lot of trepidation going into stuff but oh, yeah. you're still willing to do it like well there's one way to learn <laughs> and it's yeah. just to jump in and figure it out
1: and, and like the past uh, two years as I've done freelance a bit more seriously like so much of it has been like that where like like the most recent one was uh the uh, nba so i'm from toronto and the raptors uh actually were the nba champs um and then they had the parade um and for that i was i was hired by a, a publication called the athletic and i had no idea like i've never done a parade before like no one in Toronto has because Toronto <laughs> teams never win.
0: Hey, I'm, <laughs> I'm here with the, in Minnesota. We we rarely win anything. <laughs>
1: yeah. And just uh, like even going into that, like I was asking so many photographers, like, hey, like, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Where do you think the best spot's going to be? But no one really had a clue. Like we, like for the most part, we were all going into a blind. Um, there were definitely more veteran photographers there that, again, just like knowing like the play of a, of a sporting event, like knowing what's going to happen. They've done enough like public events like that uh, um, where they had an idea of what was going to happen and they were really good, like to call it out. Like it was awesome. It was a really cool experience to be able to suggest something and then being like, yeah, maybe let's check that out or being like, no, that won't work because of this. And just being able to get that instant feedback of uh, what works and what doesn't. Um but even for that, like you can't say no to the opportunity. Like you still have to, kind of just go, do your best, and uh, see what you walk away with. Right. And worst case scenario, you're going to learn a really good lesson.
0: Well, as as a, as a good friend of mine, Vincent likes to say. and We were talking just the other day. It's he, he calls it failing forward. You know, <laughs> that's great. Even when you, even when you you know have thing everything that could go wrong goes wrong, and it's a complete failure. As long as you're learning from it, you're still making progress and it's still a step forward. So mm-hmm. that is awesome. Now I've got, I mean, I know we're getting close on an hour. I feel like we barely just scratched the surface. So <laughs> no worries, huh? one of these days we're gonna get you back on here down the road. But love that um couple quick kind of rapid fire questions. Well, this one isn't so much rapid fire because I know you've mentioned a few times I've seen on Twitter you're reading this book from Sally Mann oh, yeah. that you said in a lot of ways is kind of rocking your world as far as photography and and inspiration and stuff like that. Yeah. Um,
1: One of the the things actually that I forgot to bring it up earlier when you said uh, like not a lot of people are shooting like the black and white sports. There's actually a quote in that book where she is shooting for a university. uh, And she said the only requirement was to have a 35 millimeter Nikon camera, Uh but that didn't stop her from lugging or five by seven uh, to shoot <laughs> sports teams, right. and, and I read that I'm like, man, that is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it made me feel so cool because I've right. I, I the Hasselblad. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, yeah, like the, the whole book, I just have like tabbed with. I guess I carry it with like a pad of uh, sticky notes.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I just have it
1: everywhere on so many pages. I was actually uh, Mike Kerr was the one who uh, from Twitter. I'm not sure if you know. Him, I think
0: I've seen the name, but I, I can't say I, I've ever really talked yeah, to him or anything. But
1: he actually sent me the book to read and I told him like, Hey man, um, I'm going to keep it, but I'll buy you another one because <laughs> this is the, this is the current state of what it looks like. Right. Um, but just seeing her, like I, I had no
0: clue who she was. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I had seen her work show up previously. I think I watched a documentary that, that it wasn't about her but she showed up in it like a section yeah. about her and i remember thinking she's she's kind of a polarizing photographer where some people mm-hmm. are really uncomfortable with the stuff she's shot because it's a lot of personal really personal family you know yeah, stuff exactly and a, um,
1: there's a lot of pictures in the book too um and with some of that polarizing stuff of like her kids yeah uh, it was kind of weird reading it on an airplane because the person next to me was like definitely looking over my shoulder, being like, "What the hell?" Yeah, what is kind this of creep is this? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: um,
1: but it, and I think the big thing that appeals to me was the fact uh, that she put so much effort into photographing more family stuff. Yeah, uh, it's something that I always say like I want to do more of. Oh, same right? here. it's man. something that is always like anything that you are constantly seeing. Um, or you're constantly around it's always harder to document that that's why like people who do series on like their hometown like i have so much respect for that because yeah that that's tough that's not an easy thing to do and the way she does it is just right incredible
0: that's kind of the world that i've been forcing myself to slow down and and appreciate and and try and get better at in this last six months is my hometown i'm in this very small town i mean uh, the part of Minnesota I'm at, we're, I'm only about an hour and a half from the, the Canadian border in Ontario there.
1: Oh, nice. And
0: so, I mean, I'm I'm way up in the north northeast corner, and my town is about 11,000 people, um something like that. And that's spread out over about 40 square miles. There's the actual town, and then there's all the rural areas too. And the, the town where I went to school, I graduated with a town of population of 600 people. So it's really small towns. And so I've been really wanting to try and just, you know, work on kind of just documenting life here, finding my way to tell a story, but the way she does it with family, that's something even to me entirely different because like you say, it's so hard to, to use your quote from earlier, follow the trophy. Yeah. Because you know, a, your family gets annoyed with you constantly sticking a camera in their face, <laughs> you know, and, and some of them get used to it. Other times they're like, ah, get that thing out of here. But it's hard to hard to find a story that you're gonna focus on, like over you know, say you're gonna hang out with your family for a weekend or something. It's hard to kind of pick that one story. Like, what do I want to you know tell? Because you almost have to pick a family member. Yeah, you know, and and it's tough. Like, it, it's a it, it's a tough thing. And major kudos to her. I know that book's been one sitting in my my Amazon uh, wish list for <laughs> for quite some yeah. time and it's It's getting close to getting bought. I just have a few others to get through, but it, it made me think about something though, because granted, this is a photographer you know who who's giving you this this kind of memoir and their thoughts on things. But where do you look outside of photography for for your creative inspiration when it comes to you know things outside the world of what you're doing all the time? Oh man.
1: Um... Jeez, things have have honestly been moving so fast lately (laughs) that I haven't had the time to be, like, really thinking about that. Um, But but I I think for the most part, it's just like everyone else, like, seeing other people's work and stuff like that, um, outside of, um, like, photography and content and everything like that, I I think music is a huge thing for me. Um, And kind of like a byproduct of... uh, Actually, not a byproduct just of printing, but, uh, kind of isolation is like a really big sure. thing for me too. Like, uh, one of the big things why I like photography so much on the personal side of things is it gets me out doing things. Yeah. Um, and that was something that I really learned from doing the YouTube series where every week I had to go somewhere interesting to film <laughs> right. the video. Like, we're, like I couldn't wait for like a friend to be like, Hey, do you want to go for a hike here? Mm-hmm. I was just like, well, I'm going to go and then that's kind of it and i think even for some people now they're like wait why don't you just go a different week i'm like nope i'm just gonna go now like, yeah. I'll, I'll drive like three hours to uh, one area in ontario like tobermory like people yeah. go there like maybe once a summer and they'll plan like ahead of time they'll bring all this stuff to get it going they'll come with all their friends uh-huh. and me like i'll wake up on a saturday and i'll be like yeah i think i'm gonna go tomorrow and then I'll, I'll just take off. I'll drive four hours, spend the day, <laughs> and drive back. Um, and and I'll, I'll always bring a camera with me. Um, I never really shoot anything that's great, but for me, it's just kind of being out there, just with myself, um, like minimal distractions. Like I'm, I, I'm usually gonna kind of put the phone away. It's it's an analog experience for me in terms of me just being there. Like I'm not playing, I'm not one of those people who's walking around playing music. Right. Well, um, oh, I like, can't do that. I- exactly. So I, I honestly think that it really is a big uh, inspiration point for me. And even at home, like even when I'm printing and it's just me in that dark room. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely listening to music in there, but <laughs> that, that's a time where uh, it definitely gets me motivated for either the next project or gets me thinking clear just because uh that that lack of distractions and just kind of that that emptiness that is available in your mind and it right. lets you start thinking and filling it with uh, motivation and inspiration.
0: Right. It it, it kind of gives your ideas room to breathe. Yes. You know, yeah. and and lets you really really chew on something for a while, free of any other, like you say, outside influences or yeah, you know, asking a friend, what thing. do you think of it? Yeah.
1: One hundred percent. the The outside influences is always it's double-edged sword. Like you always want to get the second opinion, but yeah. it's hard to not uh, take it too far. And if someone doesn't like something, it's it can be dangerous because you could also be like, "Oh, I guess I'm not going to do it," even though it's something you really want to do. Right. Um, and and to take that a step further, if if I do that in the summer and go for a hike, kind of alone, yeah. there's still a lot of people. Sure. The best thing for me is once a once a year during the winter, I'll do the same thing. Yep. Like, and I'll go do a big hike uh, in the winter. That's actually probably one of my favorite uh, vlogs for the <laughs> YouTube series as yep. well. Um, but that is something else because there is no one there. No. Like, all you it. hear is the crunching of the snow. Yep. Um, and like, and that's it. And I'll be out there for like, like six to eight hours, just kind of
0: yeah. hiking around.
1: Yeah, um, and coming back after that, like I can go on a vacation for for two weeks. I could go to a, a different state or something, but sure, nothing makes me feel as refreshed and uh, ready for the next thing, right? And uh, something like that.
0: I, I get it. I mean, I hunt, and so every November I take uh, I, actually only four days of vacation, but the way it's set up with holidays and stuff, it, it gives me nine straight days. And I'm I'm I drive back and forth every day because I'm only about a half hour from where I grew up and where I hunt and stuff. So I sleep in my own bed at night. I don't I don't need to sleep on someone's (laughs) couch. But um I drive up in the mornings, I get up at like three in the morning, head up to my parents and meet all my uncles and my dad and everyone. It's it's all the family. We're all together. We meet in the morning, you know, well before daylight, and we're all in the woods before daylight. And I, I spend probably, you know, six to eight hours a day during that time in the woods of course it gets a little cold sometimes you know yeah. freezing but so you come in when you need to you go eat whatever but all that alone time i mean it just i'm, I'm exhausted when it's done because i'm getting up so early and you know all of that yeah. but and all that fresh air that long it tends to wear you out but at the same time mentally just feel so oh yeah recharge like i'll sit in my you know stand or i'm I'm out walking around whatever it is and it's just a steady stream of i need to do this and i need to do that and you know (laughs) just plugging sit down i'll keep a little notebook with me i can jot stuff in if i'm you know got something that really sticking in my head or whatever it is but it's important Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know really really, you know the, the one other thing you mentioned too about the outside distractions getting that second opinion like you said, it's hard when when you you know people are telling you they don't like it or they you know think you should do this because especially with friends and and people you really trust it's it's so dangerous because you feel like you almost can't trust yourself or if you don't do what your closest people that you normally talk to are saying, like somehow you're you're dissing them or you know yeah,' <laughs> you're, you're shrugging you off their opinion. Toes. Right, and so there is a point in time. I've kind of got to this point with myself where I'll still ask some second opinions, but I'm more likely now to show them after something's ready to go as like a last check before I'm ready to put it out into the world. That's a smart way to do it. Just kind of double check this, make sure I'm not missing anything glaring. You know, I'm cool with it, but you know, if I if I miss something major, maybe point it out to me and we go from there. But otherwise, I because I'm so bad with that, like. I'll share something with a, you know, I've got a handful of good friends. In fact, myself and uh, five other photographers, we just kind of went public. We started this little photography collective and I'm so bad about, it. I'll share something in there. We'll talk about it. And we all have very different styles. I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a landscape, small town, urban kind of guy or rural kind of guy. I mean, and we've got a guy in New York city shooting, <laughs> you know, yeah. street photography. We've got a guy, a couple guys up in Calgary that are, they're doing their thing up there and, um, Brian Menear, he's a, a Fuji X photographer, like a landscape wizard. He's just so good. And everyone's coming at things from such different views. And it's like, you, you, you lose sight of what your view is. Yeah. That's crazy. It's so i Have uh, got.
1: Have you, have you photographed, uh,
0: the hunting before? Uh, you know, not so much. Well, some cell phone stuff when I'm in the woods, but yeah, cause I hike around in the fall quite a bit, but I have done some stuff. Um, and it's a project, uh, I'd really love to do more audio and video with, um, nice. in deer camp, you know, and when, when it's all the, the old, everyone's sitting around and I, I just, I tend to just sit back as weird as it is. Cause I do a podcast and I do all this stuff in real life. I'm pretty introverted and I like to just sit back and listen. Yeah. And especially in those times, my dad and my uncles and my grandpa, who's 93 and you know, he's out there and they're all telling stories from when they were young, you know? Yeah. You just want to take that all in. Right, and I take it in and I, and I've tried the one year i even I had a a little road mic I plugged into my phone and set it up when no one was looking like in a corner of a room and just hit record just to let it capture audio. That's awesome. And you know, even that, as soon as one of them spotted it, stories disappeared. <laughs> you know everyone yeah. got quiet. It's like, oh, come on, these are important, you know, and but I, I have done quite a few photos, like, especially during the first few days. When, when everyone's kind of fresh and, you know, cause it, it's a grind, you know, when you're out there that long, oh, yeah. but, but uh, it's something definitely I, I want to do more of, but I struggle because in order to, to document it photographically how I want to, I'd almost have to give up my hunting, you know, because yes. it'd be great to like follow each, each person, each of my uncles around and pick a day and just follow them, you know, and document their day, you know, what we're doing. And but that means yeah I got to give up mine. That's a big reason, uh, like when people ask about YouTube as well. Yeah.
1: And so if you think about any kind of experience, like doing anything, let's say it's going hunting. You nailed it with your description of it. Yeah. For the video to be good, there's 100% of the experience. Right. In order for the video to be good, you have to give up part of that experience in order to donate it to the good of the video. (laughs) <laughs> exactly so if you want the video to be hundred percent good your experience is going to be zero percent good right <laughs> if you want it to be 50 50 like and so on like you actually need to give up that portion yeah in order to create something yeah. rather than you enjoying it and that was the big reason that kind of pushed me away from it um and the second thing is uh it's actually really interesting to hear you talk about the hunting uh because mm-hmm. that's actually something i'm going to be doing uh, later this September. Okay. Uh, my cousin, his dad and his dad, dad. So three generations. Sure. They go hunting like every September. Okay. Um, so I just kind of said like for the past two years, I've been trying to get the dates to work out where I still have vacation left and everything. <laughs> uh, and this looks like it's finally the year. Yeah. And, uh, but I'm just going to shoot. Like I, I'm not shooting and I'm not shooting any guns. Yes. Yeah. Document. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like just that's going. Still awesome. um, so not sure exactly how I'm going to do it. Yeah, um, but I, I'm so pumped for that. Like combining oh. the two things of being right isolated like that, and also yeah. just creating. Um, I, I think that's gonna be such a great experience.
0: Oh, I'm excited to see what you come up with. That's that's one project. Not only my own family, but I've always thought like because where I'm at, there's tons of people up here. You know, when when we get our our hunting season, there's people everywhere. Hunt, little hunting yeah. camps all over, and I thought. You know, how cool would it be to, to be able to, you know, meet some of these people ahead of time, set it up and, and just go spend a morning or a day, you know, just documenting someone else's hunting camp experience. Oh, yeah. and, you know, something like that where you don't have the personal attachment to them or it's just, you know, kind of for strangers really, but you're just finding their story. But again, it's a timing thing, man. <laughs> it like, is. Yeah. I can't do it and, and still do what I enjoy doing and, and get the, the mental recharging that I need at that time too. So yeah, I'm yeah. excited to see what you come up with. Cause I mean, well, uh, I mean, like I said, I follow your work and I, I love every time I see something come up because you're always pushing yourself. That's the thing oh, thanks, I love man. so much. It's awesome. Now the, the last question I had for you, and it's, it's probably a pretty, pretty tough one. Let's hear it. It's, uh, when are you going to finally secure this Kodak ambassador? <laughs> I had a feeling it had something to do with the film
1: stock or something. Man, I don't know. Hopefully, oh. uh, hopefully before they go to business though.
0: Yeah. You know what? I, I, we were talking, Riley and I were talking about it and it's like, yeah, if anyone, well, cause I was trying to convince him to just take on the role of uh, ambassador for his, his tintype camera that I forget what it is, Agfa, yeah. whatever. And then he, he meant we were talking, laughing about you and, and your love of Kodak. But he did have one question he wanted me to ask you. So this, this is a question from Riley. He says, I, I am supposed to ask you about if you can give us any tips on loading someone else's exposed roll of 120 film into a Hasselblad. So I'm guessing there's a story behind that. Someone else's exposed roll. Oh, yeah. man.
1: <laughs> that did happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that must have been, uh, that was actually what I was in, uh, (laughs) I I visited Cody and Riley in uh, Alberta and we basically just had like a whole pile of film that Uh we were all shooting. And I think I took, I forget if it was one of mine or I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was Cody's film Uh that, uh, he finished sealing, and then (laughs) later on in the day I took, I took it, tore open the tab and re-rolled it on a magazine. Before we realized, like, oh wait, because after I spooled it back up, it looked like a fresh roll. I was like, wait a second, that's not what it's supposed to look like. (laughs) And then uh, I forget if he—I should probably follow up with him. I feel like he still sent it out to get scanned. Yeah, what happened though? But
0: that is awesome. I I figured (laughs) I figured there was a story, Riley. (laughs) Riley told me to ask you about that. So I'm glad I remembered. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Thomas. What mistake you make again. <laughs> right. That's, that's one. I mean, <laughs> I, I had to imagine the feeling was just sinking like, oh no, I just oh, yeah. trashed a whole roll of film. Potentially. Especially because it wasn't my roll of film. Too. Right. That was the worst. Oh, <laughs> what a terrible feeling. Oh man. Yeah, shoot film. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, Thomas, I really do again appreciate you so much for coming on. Where Where would you like to send people to find you? I've got links right now for your Instagram, Twitter, your website. Anything else in particular you want them to head over and check out? Or, uh,
1: no, that's really it. Thanks for having me, though, man. Really appreciate hey. that. Glad we could figure out. Uh, and, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, websites and Instagram is probably the best.
0: Okay. Uh, and why don't you give those a shout out so people know in case they're, you know, appo- opposed to looking at show notes.
1: Yeah. Uh, website is going to be thomas And the last name is S K R L J. Uh, no vowels in there. And then <laughs> Cause you're a trendsetter.
0: I, exactly.
1: <laughs> I, had it, I had the no vowels before all the trendy brands had it. <laughs> and uh, my Instagram is going to be T S K
0: R L J. Awesome. That's it. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate it so much. And again, you know, when you got new projects and different things going on, especially after uh, you, you get to do your hunting trip this year, love to chat again and see how all that goes for you. So, yeah,
1: hundred percent, man. I'll, I'll, I'm sure I'll uh, talk to you ahead of time just to get any tips of uh, <laughs> being out in the bush for that long.
0: Absolutely, man. My door is always open. Awesome. Thank you so much again, Thomas, for coming by and joining me here in the virtual studio at Creativity Base Camp. And guys, as always, this adventure has come to an end. It is not the ending, it is just an ending. And we'll be back here next week with an all new adventure here coming right out of Creativity Base Camp. <laughs> it is the Adventures in Creativity Podcast. Guys, I really hope you enjoyed that. And you know, like I said, there's so many good takeaways but one of my favorites i think was you know the idea that whenever you're looking to learn and grow and get better at doing something just jumping in and we touched on that late in that conversation so i hope you guys enjoyed this conversation as much as i did thomas thank you again so much for coming by guys be sure to check your show notes you can swipe left up you know down whatever direction you need to swipe in your podcast player and you're going to get all of those links to Thomas's website and all of that fun stuff right there, Instagram, Twitter, all of that. I highly recommend you check that out. And if you want to keep up with everything here at adventures and creativity, remember we've got a new home. You can find it at aicpod.com. That's A I C P O And you'll find all the show notes and everything there. And, um, You know, I hope you go check it out and I hope you guys again, enjoyed this conversation. And as always, I want you guys to stay on the lookout for your own adventures and creativity this week. Take care of each other. Be kind, have yourself a fantastic week. And I hope you guys decide to just jump in, try something new. Take care. We'll talk to you next week.